1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 1 through 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, but which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace was which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And so tonight I want to talk about the resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body. You know, the resurrection, when we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about the body. Not the soul, not the spirit. Because the soul and the spirit never die. So the resurrection has to do with only the body. So if we, let's consider the resurrection of the body. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have of getting to open your precious word. Father, we thank you that you have given to us uh, this knowledge and this assurance of the resurrection, of our hope, of our expected um, deliverance from this present evil world and this present corrupt, defiled body. We thank you for that precious promise. And Lord, I pray tonight as we look into your word and consider some things concerning the resurrection of our body that we'd be encouraged and strengthened in, in our walk with you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Of course, the first thing, you know, some of this we covered this morning is the proof of the resurrection. You know, Peter sp spoke of this or in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. We mentioned this morning in his first message how that he was slain and then he was risen from the dead. But, and I didn't use this past scripture, but in Acts chapter 26 and verse 26, Paul in his um, uh, testimony before King Agrippa, if you remember, uh, uh, Felix, I believe it was Felix, and the governor, uh, and, and you know, King Agrippa uh, appointed a day when they would hear Paul, I guess it was Festus, actually, that's this point in time was Festus who replaced Felix, uh, hear Paul of the matters concerning uh, his beliefs. And in verse 19, Paul begins, says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles they should, uh, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore attained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, 
that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. And notice verse 26, For the king knoweth of these things, before whom I also speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. You know, as I mentioned this morning, there's plenty of evidence to the resurrection of Christ. This, each, of course, each of the Gospels recorded, there were many eyewitnesses, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there were 500 at, once time, at one time. You know, uh, Luke, in, in, in the book of Acts here, in verses, chapter 1, verse 3, describes it, that Jesus is alive by many infallible proofs. Now those are proofs that are without question. They can't be questioned, even in a court of law. So there are, there is, you know, this thing, this, you know, the death and resurrection of Christ was not done secretly. We're in a corner somewhere where nobody saw it. It is, it was very open and evident. So there's much proof of the resurrection. And so there's, there's great proof of the resurrection. But I want you to know, secondly, the importance of the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter um, 15, again, in, in the resurrection chapter, in verses 12 through 19, uh, he says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is not Christ risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain? Yea, we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised not up that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, and your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So if there is no resurrection, if there and if and if Christ did not resurrect, then of course, then Christ is a liar, and we are liars. And we are without hope, without God, uh, in this world. The apostles are deceivers. The Bible is a fable. You know, salvation is a farce if Christ be not raised. Uh, and, you know, preachers are false witnesses. No, you know, again, the, the, the resurrection, the, the literal bodily resurrection of Christ is the fundamental, the cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith that separates Christianity from all other religions. Uh, and this, this resurrection of Christ guarantees the future resurrection of all men. Uh, and so if you, if you drop down to verse 20 and verse 22, it says, But now is Christ, risen from the dead, become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now when he talks here about the first fruits, I want you to think about this first fruits a little bit. When you, let's say if you have a garden and you have corn and you go out and you pick, you know, it's starting to come right and you pick some of the first 
ripe corn. What is the assumption that from that first ripe corn, the assumption is there's going to be more? You know, the, when we're talking about first fruits, first fruits, the idea here is that you know there, there's some that ripens quickly or earlier, but the the greatest part of the harvest is yet to come. You know, often we pick sweet corn, we pick a few years that get you know, and usually not real, not a lot. First time we pick, but usually the second picking or pulling is the most. That's the most. And then after that, you know, it gets less and less. But, but so this, when, when, when we talk about the first fruits, it is a guarantee of future resurrection of all men. Uh, he's come to the first fruits of them that slept. And, of course, the word sleep here refers to people, it, it describes uh, people that have died. You know, the Bible always refers to dead people as sleeping. In fact, do you know what the word cemetery means? Sleeping place. It means sleeping place. That's the original Greek word. It means sleeping place. Um, and so, so it is a guarantee. Now, as we think about the resurrections, there are two. There are two. There's a, there is, and let's go to John chapter 5. I'm going to look at a couple, a couple of different passages because it refers to them by several different terms in the Bible. In John chapter 5... And verses 28 and 29, it says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. Now notice, all that are in the graves. So he doesn't make any distinction here between saved or lost in, in verse 28. But in verse 29 it says, And all shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. So he describes it here as a resurrection of life and as a resurrection of damnation or judgment. So we're talking about two different resurrections here. Uh, in uh, uh, Acts chapter 24 and verse 15, when Paul is again rehearsing his testimony, I think it's this time before Felix. Yes, before Felix. In Acts chapter 24 and verse 15, he says, and I have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, speaking about the Pharisees, allow this hope or of the resurrection, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. So here he describes it as, you know, the resurrection of life would be the just, and of course the unjust would be the resurrection of damnation. But it's the same resurrection he's talking about. It's just using different terminology. And if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says that, that he's going to be the judge of the quick and the dead. You know, quick refers to those that are living, and the dead, of course, are those who do not have life. So, so these are the, the terms it gives to the, to the resurrection. And then in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, Revelation 20 and verse 6, <clears throat> it says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So here he calls it the first resurrection, and then, and the, and then he calls the other, the, the one that, 
is to the second death, which will refer to the unsaved. So there are really two, there are only two resurrections. However, when we consider the resurrection of life, or the resurrection of the just, or the resurrection of the quick, or talking about the first resurrection, there are three stages to it. Now go to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. And we see this. 1 Corinthians 15. There are three stages to the first resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. But every man in his own order. Now he's talking here about the resurrection of the just, or those that are saved. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ that is coming, then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and all authority and all power. So Christ the first fruits. I'm talking about, about the first fruits. And and you know, and, and this is a little sort of a mystery. Do you remember in Matthew chapter twenty seven, it's the only place that it's spoken of. That at Christ's resurrection, of course there was an earthquake during his uh, when he died, there was an earthquake, and it says the graves were open. And then many of the saints come out of their graves at his resurrection and appeared to many in Jerusalem. But that's all it says. It doesn't say what happened to those saints. And, and you know, you, you can read commentators and they'll, they'll say different things. I don't know that anybody knows. You know, it, it, you, I guess you, it's one of the things you can speculate about. Uh, we'll know when we get to heaven. But, but you know, there, there, this, was the, this was the resurrection of the first fruits. Of course, Christ was the first to resurrect from the dead. And, of course, there were some come out of the graves at his resurrection. Now, again, again, I think that's just an authentication of his resurrection. Um, and, but, but, again, the assumption is here that there's a guaranteed harvest to follow. A major part of the harvest will follow it's a pledge, you know, Christ's resurrection is a pledge and a promise to us that we will be resurrected. Just like when we go to the garden and we pick a few ears, we're expecting uh, that in another few days or a week, we're going to get a greater harvest of corn or tomatoes or whatever it is. A major part of the harvest will follow. So, so Christ was the, was the first fruits. And so we are guaranteed a, a, a future resurrection because he is the first fruits. And then we see here also the second part. It says in, in verse 23, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Now, this would refer to what we commonly call the rapture. And of course, this is recorded for us in two places particularly two places in the New Testament, right here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so so here we see the... uh, when the Lord comes, and of course we we have some other instructions given to us in First Thessalonians chapter four, referring to the same event, and again which we call the rapture of the saints. 
in First Thessalonians four, where he says, Brethren, I would not have you but I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So when he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, then they that are Christ at his coming, he is referring to the resurrection of uh, at the time of the rapture of the saints. Those who have died will be resurrected first and be given and they're given their glorified bodies. We that are living, who are saved, will be will be caught up and changed in a twinkling of an eye. We'll be given a new body, a glorified body. Uh, th- and again, it's a type of a death because this old body is going to be swallowed up of victory, of life. Uh, so so that's, that's what he refers to, that's what he's referring to when he says, uh, <clears throat> verse 23, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. So that's the second part of that resurrection of the just. And then in verse 24, he says, then cometh the end. Or uh, you could call it the end ones, or some refer to it as the gleanings. And this would refer to the, re- the tribulation saints. There's going to be, you know, as we saw in Revelation chapter 6 and chapter 7, they're going to be, they're going to be a great multitude of people saved during the tribulation period. Most of them are going to be martyred for their faith. You have Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 through 11 uh, all, depicts them for us. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And then again in chapter 7, verse 13, 14, says, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So these are, these are the uh, tribulational saints that are referred to you here, and they are called the end. Then cometh the end, or the end once. Uh, and, 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 and the Bible makes a distinction, again, again in Revelation chapter 20, in verse 4, when it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. That referring to the church-age saints. And then it says, And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast. So obviously there is talking about those that were saved during tribulation, because they didn't worship, they, they, they would not worship the beast, and they were beheaded for it. Neither had received his mark upon their foreheads and in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ 
a thousand years. So they are resurrected. You know, the rapture, of course, is prior to the tribulation, when we'll be taken up. But these tribulation saints are resurrected sometime before the millennial reign, because they're also going to reign with Christ a thousand years. So when we speak of the first resurrection, or the resurrection of the just, it's in three parts. Christ the first fruits, the rapture of the saints, and then the resurrection of the tribulation saints, and when we'll go into the millennium and rule and reign uh, with Christ. But that is the conclusion of the resurrection of the just. There won't be anybody else that needs to be resurrected after that because those saved during the tribulation or during the millennial reign will already have glorified bodies. So, so that's considered the first resurrection. Now, what about the, the nature of the resurrection? Look at first, first Corinthians chapter 15. What's it going to be like? Do you ever wonder about it? What's it going to be like to have a resurrected body? Well, in first Corinthians 15, verse 35 through 37, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, said, But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain. But God giveth the body as hath pleased him, and every seed his own body. Uh, so, <clears throat> the seed, you know, I believe it from, taken from this pa- passage, the seed for our resurrection body is in this body. Just like a seed for a stalk of corn that will grow an ear of corn that has many seeds of corn on it, the seed for that is in that grain of corn. You put in the ground, and that grain dies to bring forth the corn or wheat or whatever it is. Uh, notice, you know, he talks about sowing here many times. For example, in verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. This is the body of corruption. This is why we live in now. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. That's this body. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Again, that's this body. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man, the last Adam, was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthly, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, Notice this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. So, you know, from this passage, you know, our 
heavenly body or our glorified body, which we're going to receive, is going to resemble our natural body without the infirmities, the blemishes, and the faults that come with the curse. But I believe we're going to know each other. I believe we're going to resemble what we look like now in some way. Just like the disciples recognized Jesus. In fact, think about it. He still had the prints of the nails in his hands, in his feet. He still had the scar in his side. So, you know, we're going to, we're, it is sown a, a physical body or a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So it'll be, it'll be recognizable. You know, in John chapter 20, he said, you know, he told them, you know, they, that when he stood in the midst of them, you know, he said, it is I. Reach hither thy hand. You know, it is I. Be not faithful, believe. And they recognized him. Um. Uh, he said to Thomas, you know, reach hither thy, you know, look at the nails in my hand, uh, prints in my hands, and reach hither thy hand to thy side, and be not faithless, but believing. So that, that he, was, he was recognizable. Mary, when she saw him at the tomb, recognized him after he said her name. So it'll be recognizable, but it'll also be a spiritual body. Uh, It'll be visible and tangible like Christ's body, yet not subject to the laws of nature. You know, this, this mortal body is subject to death, but it'll be an immortal body, not subject to death. And think about it. It'll not be limited to time or space. Again, look at John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse 19. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said... He said, showed unto them his hands in his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. So again, you know, the doors were shut. And he uh, uh, stood in the midst of them. Uh, verse 26. Again, and after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas w- was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. So, you know, again, his body, though it was visible and tangible, yet it wasn't subject to the laws of nature. It wasn't limited to time, nor limited to space. He just appeared in their midst. It is also an incorruptible body. And look at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. What is it about the body that corrupts? What carries the disease in the body? 
It's the blood. Uh, Luke 24, verse 39. Let's, let's start in verse 36 again. And as he thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. They were looking at a spiritual body. He said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh, notice, flesh and bones, as you see me have. He didn't say flesh and blood. Now he had blood in his earthly body. The Bible tells us in Acts 20, 28, that his, it was the blood of God. But he had blood. He bled. When they stuck that spear, you know, he, he sweat great drops of blood in the garden as he prayed. And when they stuck that spear into his side, there came out water and blood. You know, it, it was his blood that was shed for the mission of our sin. But this body has no blood. And our new body will not have blood. And we read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50... Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So, it is again, it's the blood that defiles the body. The disease is carried in the blood. And this new body will be without blood. It's an immortal blood. I'm sorry, an immortal body. Again... You know, and again, it's the the blood that corrupts. And and look at look at the passage and read the let's read the verses. For example, verse forty two. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And and so. You know, this, this body which we are going to receive when we uh, die, if we die and are resurrected at the coming of the Lord, or if we are changed at the rapture, this body that we are going to receive is going to be a body without corruption, without blood. It'll be a glorified, it'll be glorified flesh. It's kind of hard for us to fathom what that must be like. Because we can't, you know, I can't seem to quite imagine living without blood. But Christ didn't have blood. It's a glorified body. And look at one other passage. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 describes it as a glorified body. Philippians 3.20 says... Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So here it describes it as a glorified body. And when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he described it as a body... Uh, not made with hands, 
that's eternal in the heavens. In 2 Corinthians 5.1. He says, if we, if this, we know that of our earthly house, if this tabernacle were dissolved, so if this, this earthly body is, is done away with, we have a house, or a body, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan. In other words, he's talking about this body. Being burdened, not for that we'd be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality, you know, that which is subject to death, might be swallowed up of life. So the mortal body is going to be destroyed or completely eradicated by this body of life, of eternity. It's going to be an eternal, glorified body. We are going to be partakers of an eternal and immortal life. One that is not susceptible to growing weary, growing old, or dying. And of course, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15, and verses, verses uh, 51 through 50, 55, again, he describes that. Verse, uh, well, in verse 53, he says, This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, we have this assurance that it is yet to come because... Of the first fruits. It's our assurance. It's our expectation. Again, when, when Paul was writing in the book of Titus to, to Titus, he, he said this in, in Titus chapter 2, in verses 11 and through 15. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us to deny not godliness and word of lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and God in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And the idea of redeeming us from all iniquity is is delivering us from this present evil world and this present corrupting body. Paul refers to it as the redemption of the body in Romans chapter 8. So we're looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So we have this assurance that we are going to receive, if we know Christ is our Lord and Savior, we're going to receive this glorified body. It's going to be like unto his glorious body. Then I want to notice the fifth thing. The time of your resurrection. Well, you know, that really depends on you. You say, preacher, why do you say that? Well, the first resurrection, we refer it for us, it's going to refer when the Lord comes for saints, if we know him. 
if we know him, if we're saved, we will receive this, we will be resurrection at what we call the rapture. The lost are not resurrected until after the millennium. None of the lost. There's only one resurrection for the lost. One time. And that's after the resurrect after the the after the millennial reign of Christ. Look at Revelation chapter twenty. Revelation chapter twenty. Revelation chapter twenty, verse twelve. It says, I saw a great white throne. So so the thousand years are spoken of in verse 7. When a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. So go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Verse 8 tells us. Gog and Magog together and together to battle, the number of whom is the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in beloved city. And the fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that was deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, as we consider the time of the resurrection, again, that depends on you and I. What we have done with Christ whether we've received him or not received him. For those that have received him, this resurrection for those living today will come at the time of the rapture of the saints. You know, it could be very soon. We don't know. But it is imminent. It could happen at any time. For those that are lost, it will not happen until after the millennial reign of Christ and all the lost will be resurrected and stand before the great white throne judgment, upon whom is seated the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge of the quick and the dead. And they will be cast into the lake of fire, which is called the second death. Of course, this is spoken of also in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, when it says the Lord will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them, that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But to those of us who believe, who have received the truth, he that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. To those of us who believed, the future is bright. We have the assurance of a resurrection of life because our Savior rose from the grave. He is the first fruits. He is the first fruits. When the children of Israel were brought in their first fruits, you know, they gave their first fruits. 
knowing that God would provide them with a harvest to follow, a greater harvest. It was an act, of, again, an act of faith. And we are to believe the record that God gave the Son and that He is coming for us. There is a resurrection to come. Uh, we can rest upon it. And really, you know, that's kind of what the Lord's Supper is about. You know, when Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the, the, what he said was, we remember the Lord's death till he come. You see, we have that assurance that he's coming because he resurrected. He is alive. Not only did he die for us and shed his precious blood, which the, the, the juice represents, but he also, he also rose from the grave, being the first fruits of them that slept, which assures us that we too are guaranteed a resurrection of life. Uh, we can rejoice in the promise that God has given to us that one day, the Lord will come and deliver us from these vile bodies that we might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. And may we say, even so come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Uh, he's going to deliver us and deliver us from the wrath to come. Uh, we can rejoice in the promise that God has given to us of the resurrection to come. Because he lives for us.